Welcome to the newest, latest Movie Guys podcast, still exploring the obscure early films of Harrison Ford uh, with our eyes on getting to every movie the screen legend has ever made. There will be time for each of them, including a time for killing, which is this week's movie on the Ford Fiesta. Hi, I'm everybody, and welcome to the show. And I ain't nobody, dork. I'm Paul Preston. <laughs> and I'm Adam Witt Lies Beneath. If you're just finding the show, don't hesitate to go back to the beginning. Episode number one covers Ford's debut in Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round, and we'll be working up to Call of the Wild in episode 50-something. And while you're kicking around the archives, go ahead and comment on articles, videos, and more. Subscribe where you can. Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. And then get ready for everything coming up on this show and all things we're up to at The Movie Guys by visiting themovieguys.net or follow Ooh. us at The Movie Guys all over social media. You gotta get you some of that. As briefly mentioned, or as you may have determined from the title of this episode, this week's Ford Fiesta is a deep dive into Harrison Ford's third film with a major speaking role, A Time for Killing. Now, no doubt you're asking yourself, what the f*** is that? <laughs> We wondered the same thing. So we watched the movie, as we will watch all of these, but twist our arm, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we'll, we'll have a recap for you of what this movie is immediately following. Yes, Harrison Ford News. What is new in the world? This is old. The movie's old. What's new right. in the world of Harrison Ford? Right now. Yeah. And a quick search of the old interweb shows that there's no new casting or anything. There's nothing too surprising out there that he's getting involved in film-wise. But I was directed to a, a recent news article. Tim McGraw was on Radio.com talking about his long marriage to Faith Hill and said he appreciated Harrison Ford's advice for a long marriage. And here it is. I've learned to say the least amount of words that you can possibly <laughs> say to keep yourself out of trouble. Which is vintage Ford, right? Yes. Oh, my God. That's such Harrison Ford advice. Yeah. You talk too much. Well, I've learned to say the least amount of words that you can possibly say. <laughs> it's like the advice he has to uh, Finn in uh, The Force Awakens. It's like, you know, they always find out the truth. Always. I'd like to hang out with Tim McGraw and Harrison Ford. I don't know when that happened, but... <laughs> also, and this, this is old news, but it was new to me. Somebody has done a deep fake applied to Harrison Ford because they put him in Solo, a Star Wars story. And then somebody just said, that, what if... Harrison Ford were James Bond and then did a montage of Daniel Craig movies with uh, Harrison Ford as James Bond. What did you think of that? I am an actor. We're not necessary anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you can just put, you can, you can put anybody in anything, anywhere, anytime. So why? I don't even know. They just need someone to walk around. Could have been anybody. But, but I do a- like the calls for someone like uh, Harrison Ford to be James Bond. Obviously, this is just having fun. But I do hear people out there saying things like, you know, uh, it should be Matt Damon or whatever. It's like, you got to be British. Yeah. You can, you can make it a female if you want, I suppose. I, you know, that's a whole thing. It's like black, white, whatever. It's got to be British. Oh, I know. They always toss out Americans. That's that's the one thing you're not going to get. Yeah. They do think of Americans, though. And every time I do, I go, fans, come on. What a vivid imagination. I mean, they went nuts when they cast a blonde James Bond. A blonde? Oh, I don't know. Get him out of there. <laughs> Such sticklers. And of course, uh, as every week, I Google Harrison Ford just to see what comes up. 
And it's it. always something dopey, like, you know, paparazzi following him around. And sure enough, uh, this was this was a headline. Harrison Ford arrives in style to L.A. storage facility <laughs> in sleek black Tesla. Naturally, this was Daily Mail, as you can imagine. This is such a quarantine headline. Arri- Harrison Ford arrives in style to a premiere? No, we don't have those anymore. To uh, to a movie shoot? No, we don't do those outside. <laughs> Maybe to the to Morton Steakhouse? No, nope. nope, we don't go there anymore. To an L.A. storage facility. All the stars were there. All the paparazzi was there. But can you guess what kind of Tesla it was? Ooh, I don't know. A Tesla Model X, so that means like the side doors opened up <gasps> like DeLorean, you know. So of oh course my that's God. what he arrived in, you know. Elon Musk is such a kook. Why doesn't that emit smoke when it does that? Like that would <laughs> the baller move, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I understand its power now. You imagine I mean, it's it, it, a it, smoke it, machine. If Elon Musk installed a smoke machine in all Tesla Model Xs, <laughs> and you're at the storage facility just getting your, you know, something underneath 12 pounds of college papers you didn't throw away, you're walking in the door, and here comes <laughs> and emerging from the smoke, Harrison Ford. Harrison. <laughs> uh, the other Google results uh, yielded more rumors, but they're oh, fun. Yes. Indiana well, we Jones got- five. Rumored to feature a de-aged Harrison Ford and the Fountain of Youth. Ah, well, that that's a that's a rumor. It's old as time. It's, it's they've always said the next uh, Harry, uh, Indiana Jones movie is going to be the Fountain of Youth. Fountain of Youth. That seems to be one they've been wanting to do for a long time, right? That makes sense. I think that tracks. I've heard that. Yeah, and and yeah. why not? I mean, they could they could be right. You know, this is a rumor that, you know, I I full disclosure. I just looked at the headline. I didn't read the article, but uh... right, right. Welcome to news in uh, 2021. <laughs> it's true. But see, that's that's one of those rumors that's just somebody's like, I, I got to put out something today and call it a rumor. And it's like, oh, yeah, Fountain of Youth. They've always been wanting to make an Indiana Jones Fountain of Youth movie. De-aging is, you know, somewhat of the rage after the Irishman and some other recent attempts. And you, you love can... it, right? I do. I do. I love it. it, it well, this is going to be Industrial Light and Magic on the case. The Irishman was Industrial Light and Magic going... All right, let's throw $20 million of R&D to try and make a three and a half hour movie shot with extreme lighting of actors we know very well at different ages in time for three and a half hours. Like there's no unretouched. That's a pretty big achievement, no matter how, no matter if you can go, hey, I can tell Yoda's fake. Well, of course you can. (laughs) (laughs) Not a real Yoda. I was just watching Rogue One and uh, the the Tarkin effect and people complain, but I'm like, are you nuts? People shouldn't confuse knowing that something is an effect with that effect being bad. All right, so one more quick recurring show segment before we get to a time for killing, and that's this date in Ford history. Now, this is already a contentious date because we had Stephen Lewis join us for the episode on love. Right. But on this date in February, uh, February 16th, 19, it's the middle of the month right now. Yeah. Um, February 16th, 1988, Frantic is released in theaters. Now, Steve, of course, was going on about how there's a Harrison Ford movie every year from like 80 to 90. But this was spring of 88. This was and he's like, I'm counting it as an 87 movie. You can't do that. So there was already a whole back and forth on that. But yes, Frantic came out in 88 spring. And then that year, uh, later that year, Working Girl came out. So it was a two for Harrison Ford year, which is also uh, not very common. I think it was like Witness, Oscars, Mosquito Coast, Oscars, Frantic, February. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. 
know, it'll That's be back re- with Oscars again for Working Girls. Sure enough, that was not yeah. for half a dozen. Was it? I'm excited to get to Frantic. I haven't seen it since it very first came on video. I haven't seen it since 1988. Wow. All right. That's why we do this. Uh-huh. Very exciting. February 17th in 2000, so, man, 21 years ago, Ford receives the AFI, AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow. And then was- goes on to do 21 years Right. More work. I love that. Like, well, hey, Spielberg, we're going to give you an honorary Oscar because we screwed <laughs> you on Color Purple. Yeah, yeah, okay. Then I'm going to come back and win two more for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. I just love that move. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Ford's still getting it done, obviously, um, 21 years later. But that's when they honored him with the Lifetime Achievement Award. And at that point, based on what we've already learned, that's still uh, 33 years, 34 years based on when Ted He came out. Wow. I love basically just saying this out loud now i love the fact that afi lifetime achievement award includes his performance in dead heat and america uh-huh. lifetime achievement it includes his performance in love it performs it includes his performance in a time for killing i bet they didn't make the montage though probably not <laughs> paging mr ellis what if the whole thing began with that <laughs> <laughs> that's why we don't produce the show yeah the first three shots are paging mr ellis hi fire Damn it, fire! <laughs> fire? Now that's from a time for killing. It sure is, Paul. You know, I just dropped the baton and you pick it right up. <laughs> well, so questions like what is a time for killing now that you're talking about it are exactly why we have our patented movie guys recap. So let's do it. Finally, it's time for a Ford leading role. Ah, shit, it's Glenn Ford who leads a team of Union soldiers on the hunt for escaped Confederate POWs in A Time to Kill. Or, It's Time to Kill. Or, Oh, A Time for Killing. That's it. Just know that this is no time to die. I ought to kill you right now. Will we get much Harrison Ford here? Like Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round in Love? No. But we do get Harrison Ford early as he plays a Union soldier who helps a crooked colonel force slaves to shoot Confederate soldiers in a firing squad. Downside, there's still about 80 minutes of movie after Harrison exits the stage. So during the best part of the movie, what's the other Ford up to? Glenn Ford plays Major Walcott, a Union soldier overseeing Southern prisoners of war at the tail end of the Civil War. His Lady Emily, played by Inger Stevens, comes to visit from Boston and is witness to the cruelty of war, which it turns out is death at the hands of the firing squad who couldn't shoot straight. Luckily, one brave soldier came forward to whip this ragtag group of misfits into shape, and take them all the way to the, to the finals in this heartwarming tale. Fire! Damn it, fire! And filling the studio's lusty requirements, George Hamilton plays Captain Bentley, the leader of a group of Rebs planning a tunnel escape, a tunnel that connects to the water supply in case of Apache attack. Uh, fun fact, Apaches were the only Indians in old movies. Another fun fact, one Apache murder method described in the film is nailing your intestines to a tree and making you walk around the trunk, thus pulling your guts out. Those Apaches clearly have time for killing. It's at this point that Dick Miller also shows up. Traditionally, the half-shaven barbershop guy in any other Western. (laughs) He and a goofy cohort are charged with taking Emily to safety. They fail. What a dick. The escaped Confederates take Emily hostage. Wolcott finds her bonnet at the crime scene and fears for her safety, saying, a man can get ornery just for the hell of it. Man, that is one G-rated way of saying rape. So now, Wolcott has to capture the fugitives and rescue Emily while the gang's still at minimum ornery. So off the Diet Magnificent Seven ride into Viewmaster Valley, <laughs> accompanied by quite the Disneyland score. Not 
for nothing, but the gunshots ring distinctly of Disneyland 2. If you're having trouble picturing what I'm talking about, add in sound from Frontierland's shooting gallery, and you're there. Composer Mundell Lowe is constantly hitting one of the three different score buttons that he's created. One for the ribs. One for the Union soldiers. And of course, one for every Grand Vista. Can you imagine if Raiders of the Lost Ark did that every time you cut to Indy or Marion or Belloc? Hello, Marion. Indiana Jones. Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I need one of the pieces your father collected. Bronze piece about this size with a hole in it off center with a crystal. As the soldiers watch Emily soak herself by the river, they get so ornery that they start wrestling each other, punching each other. It's the sort of pastiche you might find on a painted cover of homoerotic homesteader magazine. The Funtime gang make their way to a Mexican border town cantina, where a knife fight for heterosexual supremacy, complete with the line, come on, pretty boy, clears the cantina of all female sex workers. Now, for anyone keeping score, there are ten women in this movie and nine are prostitutes. However, none of them talk about men, so I think it technically passes the Bechdel test. One of the southern soldiers encounters a messenger carrying news that the war, in fact, has ended. Realizing how damaging that is to the theme of this movie, he kills the messenger to hide the news from the rest of the soldiers. And thus, the North and the South, neither knowing the war was over, fought the Battle of Fort Metaphor. When I see this many soldiers senselessly slaughtered in a futile battle, I can't help but think, none of these guys are Harrison Ford? These are all the soldiers from the beginning of the movie, right? Well, uh -huh. if you're bringing these guys to shoot people, why not find the helpful NRA cheerleader from earlier? <laughs> Fire! Who was very encouraging about taking lives and bring him to the gunfight. Damn it. Fire! And why does George Hamilton have Harrison Ford's part? That's my thought at this point in the movie. Ford can easily play this guy. I see a lot of Ford moves and poses and turns. When Hamilton shoots that guy at the bar, total Ford turn, right? Eagle-eyed viewers will catch how they're also wasting Timothy Carey, neglecting Harry Dean Stanton, and can't even figure out how to use Dick Miller as comic relief relying on the doo -doo 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 music to do the heavy lifting. And as the action frantically shifts from comic relief to the battle, to the drama in the bunker, from one side to the other, all four of this movie's themes are working overtime. It feels a little like G.I. Joe, who had like four pieces of music that would fit every occasion. Walcott is reunited with Emily as the army overtakes the fort. After seeing how she had been orneried by Bentley, he realizes that there is a good time for killing. I forget, does he kill Elias or Bentley? The story of 20 heroic horses and the terrible soldiers who beat the out of them comes to a close with a rumination on the nature of war and hatred and how the Civil War won't ever be over, stating, we'll fight this war for the next 100 years. Too, Too soon! <laughs> All right, a time for killing. That's the uh, year 1967. 67. Okay. So that's a two million dollar budget, which is apparently over budget. The story is, uh, according to internet, 
the producer, Harry Joe Brown, wrote a personal check to Columbia to finish the film, wrote a check for a million dollars himself to cover the costs of going over budget. That dude believed in this movie. This is based on a novel, right? A Time for Killing, which was originally titled The Long Ride Home, based on a book called The Southern Blade. I don't know where they get the Southern Blade from. If it's George Hamilton's in a movie, you got to call it something Blade. (laughs) Zorro the Gay Blade. But much like Love was clearly a play turned into a movie, this is clearly a classic like Western novel, like the one you would find on Dad's shelf next to, you know, some James Michener. And Louis L'Amour. This is such a Louis L'Amour. <laughs> and they're all all the grandiose description of this end of the war era is, is all through this. It just, it really feels like a page turner. And to your point, this has a tag, the movie has a tagline as if it were a book too. Two violent men and a violated woman. Oh, my God. Oh. The other optional one they had was they ravaged the South for four long years. Man, woman, fury marks every mile. Oh, my God. Just, they just desperately want the woman to be part of this story. Yeah. And, she- and, and it, you know, it's it's just not. It's the Civil War. It's a bunch of guys making bad choices. But they put the woman in there to appeal to some sort of uh, 1960s uh, sweeping epic romantic Without apology. There's no, like, progressive thought in this movie. It's it's stuck in 1967. Although, man, the, the rebel soldiers, they just enjoy a lot of fighting amongst themselves, right? They just start going at it and punching each other and wrestling. And even the George Hamilton's like, let them get it out of their system. <laughs> let them get their need to beat something into submission to have sex with it to themselves. <laughs> they ravaged the South for four long years. <laughs> So we tune into this, neither of us having seen it. And no. for me, my curiosity was, I, I'd love to know why or how George Hamilton was ever a big deal. I mean, he is the lead actor. He gets the most screen time. He gets more screen time than Glenn Ford. Yeah, I would say Ford's probably billed higher, but you're right. Hamilton is does more. So. And I will say, as, as this movie went on, unlike the last two movies we watched, where you kind of wait for Harrison Ford's appearance... His appearance is very early in this movie, which means you then have to watch about, you know, an hour and 25 minutes without Harrison Ford after after he shows up. Yeah, this is probably the first movie where I was sorely missing him, too. Yeah. He could have been he could have enhanced some scenes. And so much so that I started seeing George Hamilton for certain angles looks like Harrison Ford and certain line deliveries is kind of Harrison Ford. Like and I was like, oh, man, it did, they are so close to having Harrison Ford in the lead here in just a few years he would have been the lead and we could have followed him the whole time as a, a dirty rebel soldier. There's a screen, you know, just a wash with white guys. So as far as I know, Harrison Ford could have been in some of those later scenes. <laughs> you know, it's just like random white uh, union guys getting shot. It's like, was that him? No, I guess not. He probably was oh, only in the beginning. And here's the most frustrating thing. OK, so Harrison Ford shows up at the beginning. He's the guy that that commands them to shoot the rebel soldier. Harrison Ford's the guy that reloads his gun and says, fire! So we do get oh, one. Yeah. Yeah, you get to, get to, get to have a little fun anger, Harrison Ford anger there before it was the thing. He did pick up a gun. He doesn't fire one. But immediately after that, uh, Harry uh, um, Dean Stanton screams a war yell and they start this fight in the yard there. And it's punching and punching and throwing and punching. I went back and watched it just hoping that Harrison Ford was one of those people that threw a punch. Zero punches. No, but he gets he gets thrown, doesn't he? Did I see him get tossed over a bunch of people? You know, you can go back and watch the replay as well. I went back and kind of paused, and uh, I don't know if he's one of the guys. Again, uh, it's just a bunch of random white dudes. You can't even tell who the future biggest 
box office star in the country is. There's so many. It's so saturated with just random white guys. Yeah. And then for the rest of the movie, you know, they're just keep pumping out more and more Union soldiers to get killed by them. We have no idea how many are on the mission. And I'm like, any of these guys could be Harrison Ford and they never are. Missed opportunity. Movie. Missed opportunity. Come on. My friend Mary the other day was watching old Friedkin and uh, Ma- Michael Mann movies. And she wanted to see To Live and Die in L.A. Right. Good one. William Friedkin, 80s action movie, one of William Peterson's first movies. She had to buy the DVD because she couldn't find it. We just watched A Time for Killing like that. (laughs) That is amazing. She had to search for To Live and Die in L.A. So I don't know where the priorities are amongst Amazon. And uh, she said she couldn't find To Live and Die in L.A. streaming, which is a shock. Wow. And this is available in various formats. You get this on YouTube, you get this on Amazon. But but back in the day, and, and you and I know as obsessive film fans, back in the VHS era, first of all, this probably wouldn't have even been listed in like the Siskel and Ebert guide or the, uh, you know, any of the guides. Like the, the, I, I just found out recently that this is a Harrison Ford appearance like that just wasn't even known back then, much less. There's no video store you could find that would have had this. Isn't that crazy? And here's yeah. a guy who the producer doled out an extra million dollars to make sure it could be finished. And we're, we're like, wow. what is this movie? And I'm sure it was originally a widescreen epic of some sort. Uh, but of course, we're watching it. The only version that Amazon had was a square format. Did you watch it in square, Paul? Would you rent it on? Yeah, it was square. And then it like went letterbox for the end credits. I'm like, oh, we could have seen that photography in a 16 by 9 this whole time. To its credit, the movie does have amazing vistas. They shot part of it in Zion National Park, where I visited last summer. And it certainly looks at you just see the huge buttes and the sprawling desert uh, landscape. And you're like, this is uh, this is Utah. Uh, yeah, I would say there are three parts of this movie, too. Riding uh, with grand vista shots to a score is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is pickup shots. Some shots just seemed like not like there was the the big battle you're talking about at the beginning where the where the Confederate soldiers escape from the Union soldiers. There's, they just cut to a guy and he's like, "Run for your lives!" They just hit the ammunition tent. Right. And it's like I think they wanted to say, "Oh, this they hit the ammunition tent, but we don't have any proof that that's what that was in our action sequences. So we got to get a guy to do it." So they cut to him and he's do 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 do, and he says it at one point. And there's a couple times where it's just a blue wall that I guess they're supposed to be up on top of the mountain yeah. or something like that but you just cut to a blue they're clearly in front of a blue wall with that one line you need and then they yeah. got back to the action we didn't get that before let's just run out in the back lot here and shoot that real quick we're not driving back to utah for that pickup and then my third thing would be adr this was like adr the movie as well I, there's a lot of guys talking outside and they're clearly in a robust studio yeah i mean i think that was the standard at the time because uh you know to record on set audio was still i think pretty rare at that time uh you know that became more of a like verisimilitude things that adds a ton to your budget it's like no we're not waiting for planes that's a budget killer like we're moving on so yeah everybody has that real resonance you know recorded close later on sound to it and i mentioned the alternate title of the film was the long ride home and that still remains the name of the song that opens the movie like we're setting into you know there's there's a shot of like there's an eagle and there's Confederate soldiers and there's American soldiers and there's a bit of a score. Then the score fades out and it gives us this ballad, like this crazy (laughs) ballad. The long ride home. And I was like, this really setting us up for the spirit of a war film? But this also had a Robert Town uncredited rewrite on the script. Apparently Warren Beatty saw it and brought him in on Bonnie and Clyde. So this movie does have historical significance, not just for Harrison Ford, but Robert Town getting his start 
you know, as a as a ghostwriter without credit. And if you didn't know this one, the film was originally supposed to be made by Roger Corman, and he split. So he he actually was brought in by Columbia, pitched a bunch of crazy movies like The Red Baron and the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and they went, why don't you do one of these? So he agreed to do this one if he could work on the script and get it the way he wanted, but he still didn't finish it, and they brought in uh, someone else, Phil Carlson, to oh. finish directing, but and, and he went on to make Ben and Walking Tall and some other things. So, so uh, he wasn't a, he wasn't a nobody. But um, I ain't nobody, dork. Well, and and then they ended up going a million dollars over budget for uh, you know how under budget they would have been if they kept Corman. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like his style. They thought his his fast and loose filmmaking style clashed with what the studio wanted. People were getting frustrated, and they let him go. And it's like then they went over, and then the guy's got to cut a million dollars from his own checkbook. That guy's got to be. Uh, pissed at the studio while he, I mean, cuts, while he cuts a check for him like what how brutal is that yeah i mean corman would have had no monument valley or, or not monument valley where did you say it was shot uh, zion but that would not have happened under corman like they would have had b-roll of monument valley and then they would have went to an inside set which looked just like the previous set you know which was reused from a you know a, a johnny guitar or something <laughs> well let's get to who's the star of the movie harrison j ford harrison j ford as you'll notice with the names we've chosen here there's um <laughs> uh, he added a j because this and this is actually a story that takes me back to when i first moved here one of the first things i wanted to do when i moved to los angeles was find harrison ford's star on the walk of fame so i went down to muso and frank's and there it was right up front it took a picture hey <laughs> uh, a little while after that I heard that Harrison Ford was going to have a star ceremony on the Walk of Fame. I'm like, like wait, wait a minute, a what? And Spielberg was going to show up. I went down and it was amazing. Ford was there. Spielberg was there. It was this amazing event. So I was like, well, who the hell did I take a picture with? There is a, a silent film star named Harrison Ford. And that was the guy who's been on the Walk of Fame until the one we all know found his place in front of the Kodak Theater. But I, I suppose the J was put in there to make sure that he – was differentiated by the union from the silent film star and later time passed and you could kind of claim that name again and of course this is when ford is in the studio system this is his third movie in two years time they're not huge parts but imagine just getting a call hey you're in this movie today and come back next week we'll stick you in this movie and yeah you know like the contract player studio system thing you know i guess they always say it's it was uh, problematic but it sounds like super fun for an actor i mean he went from a, a you know bellhop to a hippie to a cavalry soldier like yeah. in, in the course of one year it's uh yeah so these are all columbia because he was under contract with columbia for however many pictures they could throw him yeah. in i guess and we've talked about harry dean stanton known as dean stanton here he also had a name oh, change. Okay. i don't know when he changed it to harry dean and hamilton and glenn ford but uh in the middle of it all is dick miller yes good old notorious that guy, right? And Roger Corman guy. So I'm assuming some of this casting happened while Roger Corman was on board as the director. No, but this movie can't even get him right. Because Dick Miller is a class. I mean, whenever they cut to Dick Miller and the other guy, it is ostensibly for comic relief. He's one of the blue wall guys. Like it's a lot of his lines are against a blue wall. Something funny, like, should we get in there? And then it cuts back to the footage and he's in there. It feels like an 80s trope where you have a big action movie going on and you got the two cowards who are like comedy relief who don't quite get involved in everything. They're like the skids in mud flap of the uh, <laughs> of a time for killing. But uh, it, it's good to see him. And if you need a guy with the cholera in your movie, Dick Miller is a fine choice. Cholera and Quickfoot? There was another disease they mentioned. Ah, I used to got cholera and Quickfoot. I was like, what the hell is Quickfoot? 
It's, it's like a DreamWorks animation movie. I think that's the disease the Flash has, his quick foot. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, if that's a disease. Um, so neither, neither of us were hot on this movie. So what is the long-standing legacy of A Time for Killing? Harrison Ford's appearance, right? Harrison Ford's appearance. Uh, and as Westerns go, I mean, this must have been a ripping yarn to watch on the day in a theater. I mean, this is ripped from the pages of Manly Adventure magazine. <laughs> the other point I would make is uh, that really, I think this is the story of 20 heroic forces and the terrible soldiers that beat the shit out of them because these, these horses, they really are the heroes of this. In fact... In fact, there's that incredible incline that they take those horses down that's like a 90-degree incline of dirt. And I, each time I'm like, all of these horses are going to fall and roll over. To explain how much I was missing Harrison Ford while watching this, that reminds me of that very steep incline that he takes the, the horse down in Raiders of the Lost Ark to, the, uh, uh, to, to fight the truck. And so every time they went down that, I'm like, I just really miss Harrison Ford right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... It there's no CGI. So these poor horses, they don't know they're in a movie. And next thing you know, they're having to fall over and <laughs> tumble down a hill. It's uh, yeah, they, they needed to unionize. Oh, and amongst the character actors also was uh, Timothy Carey, uh, who pops up in all kinds of seventies movie. Great character actor died far too soon. And I didn't really catch him. He was in the background. of this whole movie started getting close-ups towards the end when they have the big assault on the uh, fort there in Mexico. And suddenly there's a big close-up of Timothy Carey, and I got real mad. I was like, Timothy Carey's been in this movie the whole time? <laughs> you you can't use Dick Miller, right? You can't use Timothy Carey, right? Come or on. Harrison Ford. No, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison J. Ford. <laughs> yeah, and Max Baer Jr., of course, Jethro Bodine, uh, played Luther in this. The guy just would never stop laughing. He'd never stopped. That was Jethro, the guy with the bloodlust? Yeah. He's like, I just want to kill some more. I just want to kill some more. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they, they do hit the theme over and over of like war. Huh? What is it good for? Right. I mean, again, in 67, here we are in Vietnam. We're making a Western. This is good. We just talked about love. It's only fair. We talk about war, war, right? We, we've yeah. moved on to war. Uh, there's a real existential movie inside of this movie that is definitely not directed for that. But, uh, you know, the variety of ways they get at, like, war is just war for war's sake, and it doesn't even matter now. And they even at the end, they even end up in Mexico, and they're like, we're in Mexico. Not only is the war not, there's no civil war, war's over. We're in Mexico where this war never was, and we're still killing each other. So it's a, that is a fascinating, and again, belongs in a Louis L'Amour novel, that, I could see that. Yeah, that's a great theme that I would have, uh, I would have taken my million dollars and paid someone to extrapolate that and <laughs> make that more part of the film instead of who knows where that million went. More horses more that horses. died in that inclined shoot, <laughs> replacing them. So let's get to the four definitive list of essentials. Okay. Uh, certainly, does he get, does he hit or does he get hit? Again, missed opportunity. Big melee, big scrum at the top. I thought I saw him getting flipped over somebody's back, but I can't guarantee it. And, it probably wasn't him, even if it was supposed to be his character. There is punching potential. He might have been in the background. He might have been punching somebody. He was in a fight. We know he was there. We just don't have any close-up of him punching someone. The real legacy of the movie is if you go, on, if you want to watch this on YouTube or Amazon, they're not going to show you a trailer so much as the clip that has Harrison Ford in it. Fire! Fire! Damn it! Fire! <laughs> Yes. 
So you'd be like, yes. oh, maybe I will watch this. And then, you know, you've seen everything in, the, in that clip that you're going to get out of Harrison Ford. He doesn't point. He doesn't have righteous anger because that's not righteous anger to make these former slaves shoot a re- rebel soldier. It's He's on the wrong side of a of an order there. But he does uh, shout. But he does fire. shout. Yes, shouting and growling are there. Does He, he doesn't point to the soldier and say, fire. No, he grabs no, he the just, gun and points yeah, the gun. Okay, yeah. right. So there's no point, but there is a shout. Now, listen, if we were doing the Tom Cruise fiesta and he was like walking, we wouldn't call it running. You got to call no, it what it is. If he's right. not pointing, he's not pointing. Right, we'll get right. to it, though. There'll be plenty of pointing <laughs> during the run of this show. So then how Harrison Ford is he in this, in a percentage? What do you think? The, he's only got one word, but it is fire. Fire. Damn it. Fire. Hey, fire. I put it at like a 60%, 65%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we get a very tight amount of Harrison Ford, but in that amount, he he's definitely not bellboy. No, sir. Charles Ellis. Room 607. He punches more people in love. Five. Unfortunately, nothing to add to the Harrison Ford punch count. No. So the so count remains at one punch in three movies. One punch, one shout. Okay, so you want to start a... doing a shout count? Because we're <laughs> going to get tired. I guess we had shouts or growls in the... Uh, yeah, in but the... we weren't counting them, because now that's going to be a whole separate metric. <laughs> I, I'm going to add shouting to, the, to okay. the tally board. I think that's a good idea. Come on! Like that, that, that the Harrison Ford, I do like when he shouts. All right, we're adding shout count. Okay. To the punch count. All right. Well, we got one shout count and one punch in three movies. Yeah, I want to be able to add stuff like Luke. We're gonna have company to the list of shouts. You know. Yeah, the number's gonna skyrocket. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna best the punch count. I can tell you that right now. That's our third movie in the Harrison Ford Ford Fiesta series. Please come back. Fifty five movies plus to cover here. So don't forget to follow us at, at the Movie Guys everywhere on social media on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course themovieguys.net. Join us next month as Ford's Western phase continues with Journey to Shiloh. Nobody's heard of that movie. I ain't nobody, dork. Goodbye. 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 And goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.